Hey, legends, you know, none of our interviews or episodes ever date, ever. They are all timeless and ready for you for when you're ready to listen. Download the lot and rip in. This episode is brought to you by our wonderful sponsors at Griffin Air Conditioning. You can find them at griffinair.com.au and tell them Unfiltered sent you for a cool deal. Welcome back to Andy Raymond Unfiltered, the Jeremy Smith story. Previously, we spoke about the mischance he thought would cost him an NRL career. His story is unique, successful and intriguing. It continues. You mentioned uh, your role there at the Dragons was one of a leader. What's what's a leader to you? Um, well, a leader to me, well, for, for me, like I, when I had leaders at Melbourne, I had Robbie Kearns, Steve Kearney, Dave Kidwell, that... Um, when the shit was about to hit the fan, yep. it was going to get them first. And to me, that's what I used to take out of it. Um, mm. you jump on my back and we're going this way. I'll pave the way for you. It's yep. fine. So for me, a leader was showing them the way and never looking under pressure or always being mm. cool, calm, even when the shit was going down. Yeah. You were still there to keep fighting to the end. Happy to wear the bruises yeah. almost. Yeah, definitely. Hell of a footy side that Dragons won in 2010. Wow. It was like, we, yeah, that 2010 side was, it was a good, real good team. I I suppose, but in saying that, you know, always, I hate to say it, but if Melbourne were there that year, I I don't know, it could have been a different story. Yep. It's just, I just, I just, I feel like that we, we beat, Every team, but we didn't beat Melbourne mm. because Melbourne, they obviously, of what happened in 2010 to Melbourne. The salary cap scandal broke <clears throat> around this time, uh, stripped the storm of, of their points, also mm. stripped the storm of the 2007 Premiership. What was your immediate reaction when when you found out that news? Because that impacted you yeah definitely um well it didn't really bother me because i still had the ring to show it you know yeah. i still had the the ring i've got the tattoo mm. you know i've still got the memories to see that game to visualize that game and say well you know they haven't taken anything from us because we've still we've got proof yep. the only thing that we haven't got proof on is they've taken the um, <laughs> the little medallion bit off the <laughs> off the trophy because <laughs> when I was in 2010 I, yeah. I oh there's one missing here <laughs> even um, with the the minor premierships um, mm. when we won them with the dragons I still look for because we won them in 2006 7 and 8 yep and I look back there and then I've gone 9 uh, yeah 10 yeah 9, nine and 10, 10 dragons yeah. yeah so I pretty much won five premierships in a row yeah uh, minor premierships as we sit here today, do you consider yourself a 2007 Premiership winner? Most of your teammates from that day do. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Of course I do. I, you know, we lived and breathed and, you know, we we um, we done the hard yards that mm. year and, you know, we paid the ultimate price by getting to the grand final and then we got to the grand final and we, we won the grand final. It wasn't easy for anyone, but at least... In Melbourne, the Melbourne guys were grouped together. They had a support mechanism around them. Yeah. You didn't. 
Yeah. How tough was it? Yeah, no, definitely, especially when, you know, you've got the media coming up and trying to talk to you about what's yeah. happening. And I'm, I'm just like, well, you can see what's happened. Like, I've got no say in what's going on. Yeah. You know, it is what it is. It's used there to try to make something out of nothing. And obviously the NRL put their foot down and say, there's nothing I can do about mm-hmm. it. Um, but no, definitely, I still, I still think that we won that year. You know, we were the best team all yep. year and, you know, we proved it. Grand final day. Time for a change to Cronulla for two years. You didn't experience the same success in terms of results. Did you enjoy your time at the Sharks? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, you know, the first game we went down there and we had a we had a good off season. I think it was two thousand and eleven. We went down to Canberra and got touched by fifty. I remember getting on the bus back, my head in my hands, <laughs> going, "What have I done?" Fucking have I made the wrong decision here? <laughs> but then obviously, you know, it was a learning curve. And they, yeah. we had a few first graders. We we had a few players that were fringe first graders, but we didn't have a first grade team as such. It wasn't until 2012 that we bought and we had more first graders yeah. that we were, you know, we made the semifinals that year. So it was um, it was a lot different. And But, yeah, you know, you, you live and learn and um, – you you make friends along the way that mm. are in the same boat as you. Like obviously Bomber, he's gone through the same. Yep. Now, um, if I wasn't at Cronulla, I would probably wouldn't know him as well as I do. Yeah. They were building a roster, but building a culture and building a club, much like the Rabbitohs had done uh, six or seven years earlier. Again, you were brought in as the leader to try and set the standards on the training paddock and in the change room to allow the next generation to see what you did mm. and mimic your actions. It's a uh, it's a significant role and responsibility, isn't it, trying to mould these young men who are wonderful athletes into just good blokes. Yeah, definitely. And I suppose that's that's the hardest thing nowadays is like you can get the best young kid, but yet if he's – no good in the change room or yep. he can't hang around and have, a, and have a chat, well, yep. then what good is he? Because yep. the culture is built around the the team dynamics mm. of everyone getting along. And if you can't get along mm. with one person, well, then obviously you must be you know, the sour grape that needs to be moved on. Yep. I suppose that's that's the one thing that Flano had me there for to try and build that culture. And people always ask you, what how, do, how does Melbourne get such a good culture? It's because... They have a no dickhead policy. Yep. There's if someone doesn't fit into the group, they're sold out. Which is I can see that happening at other clubs now. <laughs> and if you are that dickhead, your options in 2021 are fast running out yes. because most coaches and, and boards realise that you know the one bad apple in the group can can spoil a whole lot. Yeah, definitely. And it, it just runs through the club like a cancer and yep. once you once you know your club is going well, it's like when we went to the Dragons, once the club was going well, yep. there was nothing going to stop it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like Penrith at the moment, Penrith are on fire yeah. and they you know they are they've got a good group of players that yep. obviously love hanging around one another mm. and you can see it on the field. At this time or around this time, the Sharks were also in their headlines. It seemed like every day the joint was struggling under the weight of the drug investigation on a personal level. How did you cope with that? Because 
immense pressure on the club and on the individuals involved in the club. Yeah, definitely. That was hard. That was mm. uh, it. Got touted as the darkest day in rugby league, yeah. you know, and to be a part of was never. You know, it was never going to be nice. Yeah, you know, it was never a nice outcome. Whether we we did or we didn't, we did know we didn't know. Like we didn't know. Yeah. Like, and that's just the way it was. Like you have a supplement, you take it, yep. and it's on the club to you know duty of care. <laughs> Everyone's going, but did you know? I'm like, well, no, we didn't know. Like we were told. We were told, and that was what we did. Do you find it easy to deal with issues like that? Because it's. It's not a football-related issue. It's a life issue that has personal implications. Yeah, definitely. Um, is it easy to deal with? Can you block that out, or, or does it have an effect? Well, it, it did. It did have an effect, like because at one stage there, every time you'd type in my name into Google, like oh. the first thing that would come up would the Asada drug allegations, Jeez. which is you know, yep. for myself, my family, the kids growing up, you know, they want to, oh, let's Google Dad, and, and yep. that's what comes up, you know, like, which was, you know, it was tough at the time, but yeah. um, not so much now, I'm just like, yeah, well, it is what it is, you know, yeah. there's, that's footy, you know, We'd, we admitted guilt to something we weren't guilty of just to get everyone off our back, pretty and to, much. And to keep playing. And to keep playing. Yeah. And again, you were brought in to create the culture within the dressing room and a couple of years later, those young men that you had a hand in pointing in the right direction would win the premiership. Yeah. Was that rewarding for you? I mean, you're at the Knights at this stage, but did you watch that grand final and oh, think, I was, this is cool? Yeah, I was down at the grand like because I retired that year, I think. Was that, what was the year? Is that 2016? 16. Yeah, yeah, so I retired that year and they played Melbourne and I remember being with all the boys that had retired and they, they had to do a Q and A at halftime. Oh, yep. who, you, who you got? I'm like, you know what? I hope Cronulla go well. Mm. I hope Melbourne do well. So you're sitting on the fence. Of course, I'm sitting on the fence. Like I'm not going to pick one club over another. Yeah. I love both the clubs that I played for. The lure to link with Wayne Bennett while you're still at the Sharks. How strong was that? <laughs> it's funny because I had a good relationship with Wayne. Obviously, we had him in from the 2008 the Anzac Test that he he helped out with. Yep. And you know we just struck a struck off on a good note, and yeah. I'd always talk to him and keep him, you know, keep in touch with him. And then obviously when I was at, because he let me go, because he did the same thing as Belliac did to me at the um, Storm. He yes. pulled me aside and said, you know, we've got Matt Cooper coming back. There's, I mean, not Coops, Gaz coming back. Yep. So we've got, you know, got to free up some space here. Um, I'm getting on now because I was what thirty, turning mm-hmm. thirty one. So a bit long in the tooth there. He goes, just go off and. You know, obviously make as much money as you can yep. while you can still play half decent footy and you know get your money's worth there. Mm. So obviously I went to Cronulla and then played there and then I'd always talk to him. Said mate, you need someone like me up there to. You sold yourself, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then obviously, obviously made him pay for it. Yeah, <laughs> pay pay right. for it too as well. So getting up there and and reuniting with Wayne was 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 yeah, it was pretty handy. It was good. Griffin Air Conditioning offers the highest quality of air conditioning sales and service across the Sydney metropolitan area, providing installation and maintenance to commercial, domestic and industrial customers. Working with this team, you'll be guaranteed the latest services, technology and developments in the industry. Visit griffinair.com.au and tell them we sent you for a cool deal. 
He's different, isn't he? He is a different creature. He's, He's a, um, well, different creature, but also very different from the Wayne he wants us to believe that he is. Because that's just not him. No, that's right. Yeah. That's right. And yeah, that, the Wayne, that, that's what people say. Is he really like that? He's, no, he's not like that. No. He sits down the back of the bus. He loves hearing all the stories that the boys are tossing yep. up and he's got tries to chime in there with his dry sense humour. But that's, I suppose that's Wayne and that's the way he wants, wants to be perceived by, by the public. The Newcastle dream looks so positive. Let's get Wayne Bennett in. Let's get a group of hard-nosed seasoned veterans in. We've got Nathan Tinkler and we've got the money. It looked great. The dream was alive. Didn't end as well as, I guess, what everyone would have hoped, did it? No, definitely not. I think um, 2013, we had a a pretty good year. We got to the prelim final that year. I remember leaving Newcastle, and this is like this is why I hold Newcastle in a real soft spot from mm. you know playing there. Obviously, we le- we left we left Mayfield, and we're on our way out, and the streets were just lined with like flags all wow. all the way to the freeway, and then going along the freeway, there's like the odd flag waving. Yeah. Like, and it still gives me like goosebumps now thinking about. That's very cool. Yeah, and they always said like when the town when Newcastle. They're doing well. The town mm. is doing well, and you notice the difference. Like especially in 2013, when we had that good run to the to the semis, and you, know, you certainly notice the difference. Retirement at the end of 2016. Why? Some say, okay, my body's had enough. Some say their mind has moved on. Was it either of those or both of those for you? Um, mentally, for me, I. The kids were getting bigger and yep. faster and stronger. The body was still hanging in there. I could have played one more year, but I just mentally thinking of another preseason, trying to get that out of the way and limping into round one. And you know, towards the back end of my career, I'd, I'd barely train just purely because I'd put my body through yep. absolute torture yeah. just to you know try and keep. The respect of the change room, and you know, make sure the boys are. I'm leading by example, and mm. I didn't want to let anyone down. So, <clears throat> um, but just mentally thinking about, I suppose the preseason because they yeah. do get pretty, pretty grueling, and I just, I just didn't have it in me to go again. We can sit here with the benefit of hindsight, but as we look back over the last twenty years, the way the game has changed, and the way the players that play the game have changed. Your style and the style of Michael Crocker and guys of the like, the game almost outgrew you as you got into your latter years. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I think the old hustle and bustle and, you know. That's it. Try and flex your muscle when yeah. you run at me and I'll run at you yeah. all day, that's that's gone, you know. I'd be have to, I'd have to chase someone to try and get hold of you to square up now. Yeah. But uh, I suppose watching the game, it's – it's fast and exciting, but yeah, definitely. I suppose a bit like Trent Merrin at the moment. He knows that he can't yeah. keep up with the pace of the game, and which is credit to him because I I would never let the game like you wouldn't let it beat you. Yeah, I wouldn't let it beat yeah. me. And I suppose when I obviously retired, I retired at the right time, and the game was only getting quicker. The kids were getting younger, faster, bigger, stronger. And I just stayed the same, <laughs> which was never, never nice. <laughs> the game has tidied up so much for the mums that want the six-year-olds to play. The world is politically correct to a point of craziness. Mm-hmm. 
The game has changed on the field. Do you, do you like the game you see now where there can be so much niggle and so much niggle from a halfback because the halfback knows he's not going to cop a punch in the face? Mm. No, I don't like it. No. I I just think it's a, an easy out for the little blokes that get lippy that, yeah. you know, obviously can't hold their hands up. Mm. But, um, no, I'd, I'd prefer, like, if you're going to get – Cheeky, well, then you're going to get yeah. one around the ears. Because generally the big blokes <clears throat> don't get lippy. They just start throwing hands. Yeah. But yeah. the little blokes get lippy and then hide behind <laughs> the big blokes. Yeah. Yes. No, definitely. It's um, – yeah, no, I'm, I'm all for it. It's like some of the penalties they give away now. I'm just like, oh, yeah, was that really a penalty or yeah. were you just trying to please the crowd or – trying to – I don't know, trying to keep your job for the next week, I suppose. But it's – That's it, yeah. It's – um. It's definitely not what the game used to be, and and I suppose the game was different before I played as well. So yeah. it was rough, tough, rough and tougher again, which is you know, I like that sort of style of game. And I dare say, Croc would have been right next to me too. Exactly <laughs> right. Forgotten fact number two: you're a goal kicker, two from three with a <laughs> career success rate of sixty six percent. You'd probably be able to remember both your successful kicks. Well, oh yeah, I remember. I kicked one of my second last game, I think. But always, I, I kicked for New Zealand too. We went on tour one year. I think it was a 2007 tour over to England. We played Great Britain. Christian Inu, me and Christian Inu had a kick off after our last training run and I got him, I got the job and I couldn't miss over there either. Wow. <laughs> might find that. David Middleton might find that in the archives. Yeah, we'll have to have, we'll have, to have a look. You were born in New Zealand, Samoan heritage. Um, you represented the Kiwis 23 times, not Samoa ever. Would have you liked to have repped them? It's now easier to represent, you know, uh, the emerging nations, the Samoas, the Tongas. Would have you liked to have represented them once? Yeah, definitely. It's funny you say that because in 2005, I was moving house from Melbourne to the outer parts of Melbourne. Yep. And um, I was meant to go up and play for Samoa. They were playing Tonga at campbelltown okay in 2005 and i'd said yeah i'd agreed to play but didn't realize my house settled on that day to go and move wow. house. so yeah i, I was i because I'd, I'd, i never ever thought in my wildest dreams that i would have played for new zealand so yep. samoa was always going to be my country of choice yep what do you recall of the first time you represented new zealand how special how emotional oh yes yeah, yeah it was pretty emotional yeah. played i think what was it 2007 we played oh yes Oh, yeah, I remember it fondly. <laughs> we played bloody Australia in Wellington and we got touched by 50. Oh. <laughs> they, they kicked, we kicked off and um, I think Big Pet dropped the ball, Petro dropped the ball or the ball bounced back towards me and I just run straight onto it Yeah, and I picked the ball up and I just seen the line right there and I was just like, oh. And I think uh, Campbell, Gary Campbell was our coach at the time. Yeah. Come off at halftime, he goes, mate, why didn't you pass the ball? Like, there was open spaces outside. I said, mate, this is my first test, my first touch of the ball. I'm not passing the ball. No. I could have scored a try. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, no, that was, that, was, that was it. We went over, we ended up going over to Great Britain that year and we got, we got beat 3-0 um, by, by the Brits. But they had a good team that year. It was about this time that the culture in international rugby league started to change in the fact that you wouldn't just go and play for your nation, you'd learn about your nation's history. 
it was a period where for New Zealand Rugby League, they moved into a really professional and successful state. Things like learning about the culture, learning about the haka and the meaning of it, it, it wasn't just something you did. You learned about the history of it. Yeah, definitely. I think for me, because that was the year 2008 when Steve Kearney Mooks come on board. He was yep. coaching the Kiwis. I remember playing Great Britain over there and Big Mozza come up to me, Adrian Morley, mm. after the game and we it just beat us 3-0. He just said, mate, don't worry, like your country's in good hands and yeah. I – I I took that a little bit personal. Like I'm like, well, no, it's not in good hands yeah. at the moment. You know, we're over here busting our ass, and we can't even be competitive against you. Yep. You know what I mean? So I, I, when I went back and Mooks got the job, you know, I sat down with Mooks and I just said, like, listen, this is where we're at, and I took it real personal about him saying that to me mm. um, after that game. You know, you'll be all right. You know, your country's this. I was like, well, I'm not copping that on the chin. Yeah. So I went back and <clears throat> obviously. Had a little fair bit to do with Mooks and obviously it being him in Melbourne, so we'd always talking and yep. chatting. And then um, we played the Anzac, the Centenary Test. Yeah, put up not the best fight, but it was half decent. Yeah, and I agree. <clears throat> obviously, the World Cup that year we went on and um, we just hit our straps that year. I think everyone knew their role. Yeah, um, we had a good culture. We had the boys that liked hanging around each other, yep. would sit in the team room for hours on end, playing cards, singing music, you yeah. know, doing what Kiwis do and, you know, just chatting. Good blokes. Good blokes. Great footballers. And, and yeah. what a wonderful result against the odds. Uh, that final at mm. Suncorp, just amazing. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It was, um, you know, the Aussies, they'd sort of come out. They sort of had a, they sort of had a tough preparation too. They... They played, I think they played PNG and then Fiji in the semi and then mm. played us in the final. We had England and then played England again. So we were battled hard. We, were, we had hardness on our yep. side. And I just think that sort of, you know, our mindset leading into that game, we were physically ready, mentally ready, and and we were ready. What was your strength as a player and as a teammate? If you look back now, what, what would you like other blokes to say about you? Um, or oh, other pl- blakes on my team, or playing against playing against pl- playing against. They still say <laughs> lots of things about you. You've scarred them for life. Oh, I know. <laughs> now the guys you played with, what would you like to be remembered as? Oh, playing with definitely. Um, playing with, I suppose. Yeah, you know, someone that you could definitely count on. Mm. Would wouldn't let you down. Um. I didn't really say too much, but when I did talk it, you know, I must have been had, either had the shits or I'm trying to get my point across. Yep. Um, but yeah, I suppose good bloke in the change room and just a good knock around. 215 games, 23 tests, a reputation as a bloke who's decent, honest and loyal on and off the field. Jeremy Smith, you sir are a legend. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed the Jeremy Smith story. Before you go, make sure you've subscribed to the podcast wherever you're listening so the next episode drops immediately. And we'd love a five-star rating and review if you could. It really helps spread the word about the unfiltered brand and allows us to bring you more. Make sure you come back soon, legends.
Thank you.